there are certain things that you should not eat. I recognize this recently as we gathered in uh, teen events and uh, we did the one chip challenge. Have you heard of the one chip challenge? I recognized in that moment that that was a bad decision. <laughs> I don't recommend the one chip challenge, okay? There are also things that, as they don't come into our body, shouldn't come into our minds. They have the same effect as that one chip challenge. They can corrupt our minds. They can steal our peace. They can get us into stinking thinking. And so in our first lesson, we hear that just as we are diligent to guard our bodies, we should also guard our minds. Because whatever comes into our minds and our hearts will then ultimately reflect in our lives and play out there as well. I invite you to consider this with me as we turn to the words of our first lesson. Uh, feel free to open your Bibles uh, or on, on the screen here or in the worship folders. It's from Luke chapter 11. There it says, No one lamps, lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it, then, that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light, and no part of it dark, it will be just as full as light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Powerful words based on what we take in so that we can be children of the light. We continue with our next song.
good morning once again, and great to see you. Would you pray with me as we ask God to bless the preaching of the word? Heavenly Father, when it comes to the topic of mental health, it is humbling. We confess what we saying that we need you. And yet, Lord, we believe that you have peace. We, we believe you are a helper, God. And so bless the preaching of your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as we kick things off this morning, I wanted to ask you, what is the state of mental health in America? Now, Monday we just celebrated Mental Health Day, which is a new holiday. I don't remember growing up with this holiday. And uh, today we'll also be talking about social media and its effects. And because I know this is a pretty heavy topic, I wanted to start off in kind of a light way. What is the state of mental health in America? Here is my answer. Everything is fine. The reality is that those who are observing say that we are in the midst of a major mental health crisis. Let me give you some rationale for why they think that is the case. Right now, one in five adults struggles with mental health on a daily basis. When it comes to our teens, 10% are struggling with major depression. When it comes to those in prison, a third of those in prison are in prison because of mental health disorders. And right now, depression is the leading cause of disability in the United States of America. Wow. And this is before COVID. Consider what the pandemic did to affect mental health. COVID brought on a lot of things that make mental health issues even worse when it comes to being isolated and not helped by a community of friends, when it comes to fears of health and what's going to happen with disease, when it comes to job insecurities and the transitions that were going on and am I going to have enough? A couple years back, uh, Jeff and I did this study on how social media is affecting our teens, our young ones. Uh, we're in a group of uh, pastors called Crosstrain, and we're always trying to get better as pastors, learn more. And so we did a deep dive into what social media is doing for our kids uh, through the layer of the book called iGen. And so here is the book iGen. And uh, the topic, it says, why today's super connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood. Now, they were talking about Gen Z. I don't know if you've heard of Gen Z, that younger group of, of people. And uh, as you open the book, uh, the first premise was kind of startling, something that I believed. Uh, they had this to say, that when it comes to teens today, they're physically safer than ever, but they are more mentally vulnerable. I agree with that first part. We live in a culture where everyone wears the seatbelt, where we bubble wrap our kids, where now we can spy on our kids. Where are you? I'm going to see what you're up to. You know, we're, we're physically safer. But mentally, man, have the guardrails come down. Because they can consume almost anything through these devices we call cell phones, through the computers. And we cannot always observe what they're taking in. Like when I was growing up and we were all watching one family TV that didn't even have a remote, you had to stand up and change the channels. I don't know if some of you remember that, but anyway, um, it's a different age. They're conducting some surveys on how much people are using screen time. And this is what they found, that the average senior in high school spends two and a quarter hours texting, two hours on the internet, one and a half on electric gaming, 
and half an hour on video chat. Now, that's a lot of hours on screen time. What they found is that with the increase of screen time was a decrease of satisfaction compared to activities like playing sports or being outside or doing what we did at teen event last night, dirt biking and playing with kittens. It was awesome. Like, those things are good. They're always good. They also studied Facebook, and they found that with the increase of time on Facebook came the susceptibility to more mental health issues. That as you used it more, again, you might be more susceptible to depression and anxiety. They dove deeper into that, and they found that the reason this is the case is that when you're on social media, you're in a constant state of comparison. It's hard to be content. They also were studying cyberbullying. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today, that it's easy to say things you would never say in person online through the anonymity of the screen that you're standing behind. And so for our teens, things have become more complicated. Now, if you're a parent who loves your teen as much as I do, uh, there was hope given in this book. I wanted to share this next quote, uh, that electronic device quote, yep. Um, it's only linked to unhappiness and mental health issues after two hours of use a day. So again, if you restrict your use, if you have some, some guardrails around its use and don't just hand it over, then it can be somewhat beneficial as long as those restrictions are in place. They, they were talking about Steve Jobs in this book, and when the iPad came out, they asked Steve Jobs, you know, how do your kids like the iPad? And he was like, I don't know, because they don't have one. <laughs> tech gurus who understand the implications of screen time and what this could do, right? As we talk about mental health, I'm not sure where this strikes you. I'm not sure if it's near or far. I'm not sure if it's someone you're thinking about, whether it's yourself or someone in your network. But here's something that I love, that we're in this place talking about it, because there's hope in this place. And there's hope in this place, not because of me, not because of the band, but because in this place we meet with the almighty God, who is a hope giver. And a premise I hope to prove this morning is our first takeaway. And our first takeaway is this, that mental peace, I believe, is a gift that can come from the hand of God. Now, let me set my bearing straight. Let me give some caveats When it comes to mental health, we have to approach it holistically. Spiritual side, that's one thing, but we often talk about legs of a stool. You also have to consult the physiological side and the emotional side. Those things do matter, and and so I I don't have time to cover that. Uh, Mine is just the spiritual side. Another caveat I want to share. You are not less spiritual or less connected to God if you struggle with mental health. This is not to be a condemnation on the state of your faith life or or, or really a a, a condemnation on your connection or lack thereof, okay? The the strongest Christians can still struggle at times with mental health. But what I do believe, a connection with God is going to (laughs) help. What I do believe is that he has guardrails for us this morning that when implemented are phenomenal. And so I was looking a little bit at the Bible and people who struggled with mental health. And one of the characters uh, who struggled is a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the story goes that King Nebuchadnezzar, who did not want to recognize the Lord Almighty, uh, completely lost his mind. Now, it, it went to a large degree. He started eating grass like animals. 
Uh, scriptures say that he grew feathers. He, he grew talons for fingernails. In fact, here's an artist's rendition of King Nebuchadnezzar when he went insane. That's incredible. That's what the Bible reveals actually happened to a human being. But it also speaks of his turnaround. It was when King Nebuchadnezzar recognized the Lord, acknowledged the Almighty, turned to him, that his sanity was restored. In Daniel chapter 4, it says this, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, and I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Is the Almighty able to help us in this realm? Absolutely. There is hope. There is peace in his name. I believe that, friends. And so we're in the third week of our series called Guardrails. I hope you've been enjoying it so far. I love how Pastor Jeff kicked things off. In, in our first week, if you want to catch up, he, he basically said, um, these guardrails point out our need for a Savior. Because at one point or another, we've all broken the guardrails. We've all walked past them. And yet we have a God who kept them all in our place and gives us his righteousness through faith. How awesome is that? The guardrails remind us of our need for Jesus Christ. If you were here last week, um, you heard a phenomenal message on something so relevant today on the gift of sex, and he did a great job giving us guardrails in that degree. And today, guardrails for the mind. Now, as we get into Scripture, um, something you should know is that all of Scripture is inspired by God. So it's all very, very important, but it isn't all equally applicable. And this is a section that has so much application to mental health. In fact, if you have a Bible today, I invite you to highlight this whole section and then put in the, 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 the paragraph next to it, like, mental health guide, right? This is just such a fantastic It's so fantastic that I've probably preached on it at least five times in my course here at Amazing Love because I feel it's so, so helpful. Now, as Paul, who's writing this, talks about mental health, I want to explain where he's writing it from. He's writing it from a prison cell. And what that means is that if anyone could have had reasons to be without peace, if anyone was wondering what's coming next, it is Paul writing these words in a prison cell. And yet he gives us a phenomenal guide. So let's get into it. You know, something we do every now and then in honor of God's word is standing. Uh, could I invite you to stand as we just hear these words, just phenomenal words? Here they are. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. These are the powerful words of God. Could you turn to your neighbor and tell him, peace be with you? And then the proper response, you probably know, and also with you. Yeah, yeah, very good. Please be seated. What do you currently find gladness in? Where are you finding your gladness right now? Uh, it's something I love to talk about, but is anyone glad that it is fall? Uh, there's just so much to love about fall. Uh, it, it's the foliage, you know, the colors, the leaves that are dying. 
Reminds me of a comic bit I heard on that. Uh, anyway, uh, there is football going on. There's apple cider donuts. Uh, there's pumpkin spice. I don't know how many of you brought pumpkin spice this morning in your coffee. But there's so much to be glad in when it comes to fall. There's a problem, though, if you find your primary gladness in fall, or pumpkin spice for that matter, and that is it's going away. And so if your gladness is in something like fall, which can go away, also that means your gladness could go away when it turns to winter and when there's no pumpkin spice. The reason I bring this up is because today Paul says rejoice, which can also be translated be glad. And he says, be glad always. And we wrestle with that. Be glad always? Like, Paul, how do you do that? Like, like when you read this verse, is it like the ultimate fake it till you make it verse? Is it why Christians come to church and they're like, you know, I'm just blessed, you know, and you know they're not blessed in this moment, but they're like, I'm blessed, right, you know? Like, is that what he wants, like us to be fake about what's going on in our lives? Is that the thing? Well, as I considered, like, how do you be glad always? I considered what he said to be glad in. Now, if he said be glad in fall, we wouldn't be glad always because it's going away. If he said, be glad in your kids, and how they're doing at school might not be a reason for gladness. They don't always do well. Be glad in your job and how your boss is treating you. Eh. Be glad in the Chicago Bears? Oh, man, they got work to do. But what did he say be glad in? He said, be glad in the Lord, right? That's the emphasis. I'll say it again, be glad. And in the Lord, we find a reason for constant gladness. What, what is in the Lord that can make us be glad? Now, this is kind of where I'd love to dwell for the rest of my life. <laughs> this conversation could last a thousand sermons and a hundred thousand sermons. The grandeur of the glory of God goes forever and ever. We are yet seeking out how wide and long, how deep and high is the love of God. And so I could riff, friends, I could tell you, be glad because he's present in your life. And there is no circumstance, there is no season, there is no place where he is not going to be present and helping you. I could tell you about his faithfulness. He is the God who has provided and will provide. He's the God who has made a way and will make a way. He's the God who's faithful, friends. What I'm currently wrapped up in is God's compassion. I was reading from the book of Matthew, and Matthew had this uh, verse where it said, when he saw the crowds. And, and when you think of what he could have thought about when he saw the crowds, when he looks on humanity, if Jesus didn't guard his mind, if he was up to stinking thinking, think of all the thoughts that could have filled his mind when he saw the crowds. He could have been, well... These are the guys who still don't get it. I've preached the same sermon five times and they're still not getting it. He could have said when he saw the crowds, man, he's enraged because these were rebels. These were ones that didn't want him. They just wanted the gifts that he could offer on earth. That's not what it says, is it? When he saw the crowds, he had, can you say that word? Ah, that's a good God. He had compassion because they were harassed 
and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's such a good word. Because he is the same God today who looks out on a crowd of people and he says, I don't see a mess, I see my masterpiece. He looks out on a crowd of people regardless of their state of mental health and says, I don't see you at your worst. I see you at your best and what you can become, what you are in me. You're my child. I love the heartbeat of God who is with us every day, whose mercies are new every morning. And when we consider this about God, it's our first takeaway. Why can we be glad in the Lord constantly? Because he is constantly good. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. How awesome. As we continue, I wanted to talk a little bit about social media and a phenomenon that I'm observing. And this phenomenon I'm going to call cyber courage. Now, you might have heard of liquid courage. This is not the same thing. Cyber courage is when you're behind a screen and you say things that you would never say in public. You do things, you let your mind go in a way that would never happen if someone was in front of you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Cyber courage. Uh, because of this, what we observe is that there are certain people that troll and then have negative comments. Uh, it's in the realm of cyberbullying. Now, if you think Amazing Love is not immune to this kind of activity, you would be wrong. <laughs> I'll update you a little bit. Uh, we share uh, devotions online, and so I have a couple pictures of what they look like. Um, some of you... Um, next slide, please. Thank you. Um, some of you might have even tuned into some of our devotions online. And it was kind of interesting lately, uh, there was this troll following me um, who was saying things that were correct and kind of funny, but they weren't really nice. For example, like when it came to this one, he was commenting on how cold it must have been, you know, for me to still wear my coat. He was right. Um, on this one, this was funny. It actually helped me change my hair. He said my part was too much in the middle, like nice hair day, dude. Um, and so, um, so yeah, uh, kind of made me laugh, actually. The only thing that I noticed is that if, like, he was actually in front of me, he probably would not have said those things. Would you agree? Right? Th this is what I'm talking about with cyber courage. And, and maybe you have been prompted with some cyber courage at one point or another. You had an issue and you're like, I just need to. And you said words and things that you would never say in polite company, in mixed company, right? And maybe you've been on the other side of that. And this is the culture of outrage that we live in where you can read things that make your blood boil, which divide, right? And that's been going on. And into this dynamic, the word of God speaks. And our next verse says this. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. God says, you should be defined by gentleness. And I dove into this Greek word, and I loved its definitions. It had the idea of yielding. That if there was an issue that you could yield on, that Christians are ones who gladly yield the non-important, the non-essentials, because they don't matter that much. I can yield on that issue. Gentleness had the idea of grace. And, and it's not something we always see today, this air of grace in a situation, that, that we can handle things with grace. Now, when it comes to this, um, I recognize uh, the life of Jesus once again. And one of the most vicious attacks Jesus had was from within and Judas. And you might know that story. 
Judas, who thought like he was getting away with something, Judas was acting like a manipulator, thinking that like no one could see through what his actions were, but Jesus saw it all the time, right? And Judas, who betrayed Jesus just for money. And in that moment when Judas gives him a kiss to identify this is the Savior, betrays him, hands him over, think of all the things that Jesus could have said. Jesus could have went off. Judas, how could you? After all that I've done, are you kidding me, Judas? Judas, I am the Son of God, the Almighty God, and you will answer to me, Judas. And yet, what does Jesus say? In the garden, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? That air of grace. This air of grace is so important, not only for your neighbor, but also for what it does for us. See, when we go blow for blow, when we answer harshness with more harshness, when, when we get all enraged, it riles us up. And it does not allow us to shine in the way that God wants us to shine. And so our next point, our next takeaway is this. Seek to respond to situations with grace. Yield where you can yield. Say a kind word instead of a harsh one back. Let the peace that's within extend to those around you. And I love one of the rationales he gives to doing this. Because the Lord is near. If Jesus comes back tomorrow, should I really go off on my neighbor today? If Jesus comes back tomorrow, does this issue, does this battle really matter today? Probably not. But now we get into the hardest verse. Are you ready for the hardest verse? Let's put it up. Don't be anxious about anything. Woo! Like, I would understand if it says, don't be anxious about some things. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't be anxious about the weather tomorrow, right? We live in Chicago. Wait five minutes, it'll change, right? Don't be anxious about how people respond to your outfit or if they see your new haircut. Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat for dinner. Don't be anxious about your football team. Like, I get all of those things. But don't be anxious about anything? Like, Paul, what about, like, when my kid is on a track and it's not getting better and they're not listening and I'm wondering what's going to happen? Paul, what about when my loved one gets this diagnosis and I, I seriously don't know what it means or how much time I have left with them? Paul, what about when I can't pay the bills? I have no idea how I'm going to make ends meet. I was considering this when it comes to the hurricane in Florida. You might know family and friends who live there. And as you saw Hurricane Ian approaching, can you imagine this, like Paul coming up and saying, but don't be anxious. <laughs> I was hearing about my sister who was alone in her house when the winds were just rattling her house and the rains were coming down her fence was, but don't be anxious about it. And once again, we say, how? How can I not be anxious? And then scripture responds, and you can probably see. Because we pray. We present our request to God. And whenever we're feeling anxious, it's really just this alarm going off. It's really just this prompting. It's really just this reminder from the Almighty that you need me. You can't do this alone. You haven't done a day by yourself. You can't get through a situation by yourself. You need me. And out of love, I, I cannot neglect but remind you that you need me. 
And so allow these circumstances where you have to turn everything over to me, where you have to pray to me and rely that I'll come through. And isn't this Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? So at the height of his anxious moments, not only is he praying, and you can read the book of John where it just records long prayers from Jesus, but also he's inviting his his friends, please pray with me, watch him pray, please, we need prayer right now. It's anxious right now, there's a lot going on right now. That's David in the Psalms. David who had to fight many enemies. David whose life was on the line many times. David who would pour out his heart to God. He needed the Lord. Martin Luther. I love this quote about Martin Luther and his prayer life. Look at what Martin Luther was known for doing. He said, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. Two hours. Pretty good example. But the question is, friends, what is the state of your prayer life? Now, as you do some introspection, Barna did a study that found, on average, the Christian spends so many minutes in prayer. Guess how many minutes, on average, a Christian spends in prayer that they found? One. One minute is the average that Christians spend in prayer. That's enough for a mealtime. I'm not sure it's enough to answer every worry or concern that comes my way, every obstacle that life is bringing me. One hour of prayer. And at this point in the message, as we hear everything that we should be doing, man, we just come with repentant hearts and be like, I needed to hear this, but I'm not doing all of that yet. And so with repentant hearts, we bring that to the Lord. And and you know what's so great? That primarily when we come to this place, it's not about your performance. And it's not about you following the script perfectly. It's about a peace that is found in Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you, your sins, they are forgiven. If at one moment or another you fail to do any of this, and you are restored simply through the righteousness of Christ and his cross for you, peace is yours. And peace ain't going away. You stand in grace. You know, the only way to get out of God's family is if you run away, because otherwise he's keeping you. Peace is yours now because he's with you, and it's yours in eternity because he has plans for you. Peace is yours through Jesus Christ and him alone. But what if we got better in this regard? What if we not only heard but did? Because it doesn't work unless you work it. If we did these things, I believe then the next verse would really be apparent in our lives. The next verse is one of the most beautiful. Verse 7. There it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I had fun with this verse a lot. Now, first of all, the word transcends just means it stands above. And so what you need to know is the peace of God stands above what doctors say, what situations say, what circumstances are. It's incomprehensible, this peace of God. It's like the almighty God himself. That's what he can give even when circumstances aren't filled with peace. That's amazing. But then it said, this peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I sat in my office and I had a lot of fun just personifying the idea of peace. And in my personification of a a guard of peace, this is what I came up with. This 
this picture of a, a warrior. Imagine that God sends this warrior to guard your mind and guard your heart. And this warrior's got a shield so that whenever the, the devil's lies or the worldly lives are coming at us, these piercing arrows, he fights them off because we know we're right with Jesus. This guard who will let in any good thought when we're thinking on the noble and the pure and the lovely and the excellent and the praiseworthy, he'll let those things in as he guards us, letting in the good and holding out the bad. As I thought on the peace of God, it reminded me of our next point, that we should think on the good. We should think on the good. This is what God is prompting us to do. You know, sometimes the worst things that we say about ourselves are from ourselves, right? Sometimes we're our own worst, memory, our own worst enemy when it comes to the thoughts of our mind. So we need to think on the good. Now, in our staff, as we approach this topic holistically, we are looking at a book called Soundtracks. And uh, this book uh, basically has the premise that at times when events happen, we have broken soundtracks playing through. And, and we need to replace them with a better soundtrack. That, that if we're believing, you know, that, that I'm not enough, we should replace it with my competences in Christ. If we're believing I'm not beautiful, we should replace it with, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And one of the hopes is this uh, concept of neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is this idea that you can actually change your brain by the thoughts that you think. You can rewire the synapses uh, when you have better soundtracks in place. And so Paul comes alongside this book and he says, and so let in the excellent. Let in the true. Let in the noble but replace the broken. Don't let them in there any longer. And friends, what if we did these four? What would it look like if we not only heard the word, but went out and did the word? I had a great example of that this past week. So this past week I heard news that one of my classmates and buddies was killed in a car wreck. His name is Pastor Aaron Strong. And uh, just a, a really good dude. When it came to our class, uh, we were uh, two of the only ones to start a church. So I was uh, sent to the Chicago area, Frankfurt New Lenox. He was sent to Las Vegas. Um, he was uh, serving in Milwaukee area, Grace Downtown, and just known to be a really, really great guy. He leaves behind his wife and two children. And so on the day that he was taken, I was wondering, you know, how is his wife doing? What is she up to? What is she saying? And on the day he went to, the, to heaven to be with the Lord, this is what her Facebook page had. She said, He was the best dad, friend, and pastor. God is good all the time. He has this figured out and will get us through the days to come. Lord, help me. Isn't that a great culmination of someone fighting for the peace of God? Because she knows her gladness is in God who is constantly good. She knows that he has a plan, that he will be faithful. And yet she's crying out for help. <laughs> she's saying, I, I need something. This ain't easy. And so we're going to give prayer support for today. Keep it on our prayer list. This is someone who now has the right to have peace as a guard for her mind in the days to come. Peace that will fight for her. That's the peace I want for you.
And that's what the fight looks like. To say, God, you're good all the time. And so your next step for today, your next step is to think about the four topics that we covered. To, to figure out, is it my prayer life that needs some support? Is it my thought life and what I'm taking in? Is it that I should handle things with grace or that I should find my primary gladness in God? I hope you figure that out. Because something I believe is that though we might struggle, you do have the right for peace. You have the right for peace today and every day you live because of Jesus Christ. He is that good and he loves you more than you possibly know. Amen. And now, the peace of God, which transcends our understanding. May it guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hey, one of the great opportunities we have is to confess our faith, to encourage one another, that we're not alone. And one of the ways we celebrate community is simply by confessing uh, the Apostles' Creed together. So feel free to join in if you're comfortable. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.